You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Kill! 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 Alan Seiler. I, I actually didn't come up with a quote today, but it's got to be something about Starflight. Yes. <laughs> and Veronica Dashel. You are Starflight. <gasps> Great. Alan, see wow. what you could have done? What? See what you no one, no I, one I, said I, hi. No, but you oh. just did. Exactly. All right. Well, welcome back. All right, Keith, do we have some This Week in Trek this week? We do. Got a couple uh, real quick. The first, and this is going to be a little bit out of order, but we'd already posted about it. And that was on um, my age, actually. On November, kind of sort of younger than me, on November the 9th, 1964, was born one Robert Duncan McNeil. Yeah. Hey, everybody, everybody, of course, knows him most famously as Nick Lacarno. I, I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> Tom Paris. Actually, he starred in, in one of the best Star Trek episodes for me from the original series. I love the uh, the first duty. Uh, the episode where he basically leads the group and gets Wesley in trouble because they a guy gets killed when they were doing trying to do the starburst thing, and yeah. of course he went on to play um, Tom Paris on Voyager. I've been listening to the podcast that that Robert Duncan McNeil does with Garrett Wong, uh, the Delta Flyers, mm-hmm. and you know I remember him and stuff like Masters of the Universe, the He Man movie, but listening to him, I don't think I realized that man has been acting since he was really young. He was in Juilliard. He he had a huge theater mm-hmm. background. Like he lived like 40 years worth of stuff in 20 years. And now, of course, he directs everything on the planet. So what a life he's already had. Just amazing. Yeah. And that uh, theatrical training really prepared him for Masters of the Universe. <laughs> right. right. Wow. There's a lot of people coming out of Juilliard going into Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now going back in the day, November 7th, 1967, I brought this up because of our Star Trek topic tonight. That was the finished draft that was handed in for one little episode of the original series called The Alternative Factor. Okay. okay. Which has Lazarus and which is where my kill, kill, kill comes from. Roundly <laughs> considered one of the worst Star Trek episodes of the original series. Pretty much hated by everybody or at least confusing to everybody, whether they hate it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one of those cases where the original series should have stopped the season one episode earlier. And <laughs> I believe it would have been sitting on the edge of forever, but they had to go just one too many and do the alternative factor. <laughs> right. <laughs> November 7th, 1997. And I just sh- forgive me because I should have learned to pronounce her name. It's the birthday of Mary Chifo? Chifo. Ch- yeah. Chifo. Chifo. Okay. Chifo. Who plays yeah. Laurel. In- Yay. Mary yeah. Chifo. Bring and back Mary. Bring yes. back. Yes. Sorry. She is an right. Juilliard. <laughs> right. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I guess it's not too amazing. Back in the day, everybody in track had that kind of background. Mm-hmm. Uh, last two things. 8th of November, 1953. Um, I was trying to do a quote, but I can't really think of a good. Okay, I can think of a good quote. 
Bullshit. You didn't even think about it before you killed all those people. You're like Ahab who wants this great white well. Yep. So that is, uh, what's her name? Um, Alfred Alfred Woodard. Woodard. Yep. Yes, from First Contact. Yeah, yeah. The oh, yeah. Lily. Yeah, she was Lily. <laughs> she was uh, Dr. Cochran's uh, kind of right hand person in that and was the conscience, basically the conscience for Picard because they didn't have Whippy Goldberg there to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is not a it's not a major one. But uh, if you remember the episode from t- the next generation called The Chase, mm-hmm. it's the one where you, you dig a little bit deeper into Picard with the archaeological background. And he meets his professor, Professor Galen, who wants Picard to help him look into this mystery. Professor Galen dies. Long story short, it's the one where the Klingons, it's the Klingons and the Romulans and the Cardassians and Picard, they all chase the secret and they all find out that we all come from some race of beings that look just like the the um, the prophets from a billion years ago. And they right. find out that, yeah, that race. Well, the reason I even bring this up is the gentleman who played Professor Galen was one Norman Lloyd. Norman Lloyd was really famous. He's done everything because he was alive that long. He was probably most famous for a long time in St. Elsewhere. Um, the reason I even really want to bring that up is Prof- Norman Lloyd was born on November 8th, 1914. Wow. While World War I was just waging in Europe. And right. he just, and you might remember, he just died last May in 2021. He lived to be wow. 106 wow. years old. And the man was born just a decade after the, the um, airplane. Mm-hmm. Born during World War One and died in modern times. That is wow. amazing. Yeah, it's amazing to think of the things he saw in his life. Just uh, <laughs> how much things changed over the course of his lifetime. Exactly, and uh, that's this week in track history. Awesome. Well, let's take a quick break then to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show, and then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. for a promo for the Epsilon 3 podcast. The Epsilon 3? What do we talk about? It's a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast. Babylon 5? What's that? It's the greatest 1990s sci-fi show in history. How are we going to watch it? With glee and excitement. How would we rate those kind of episodes? Out of jump gates. How many jump gates? Out of five jump gates. Because it's Babylon 5. That is correct. If you go to Zahadum, you will die. But you know what you won't do? You won't die listening to the Epsilon 3 Podcast, right here on the ESO Network. (laughs) Now, Keith, this is a topic that you you sort of brought to us. And um, my understanding of it is that we're, we're talking about, we're finding the good things in episodes that are generally disliked or that we personally dislike. It was, uh, I think we finally focused for us, it's kind of one, one personally dislike, ones that we personally yeah. dis- dislike. You're right. Yeah, which I think um, is a good exercise, because it's, it's, it's real, as a fan, it's easy to complain. Mm-hmm. Listen, yes. listen to the Picard episodes, and you can hear me complain a lot. <laughs> you know? right. uh, but, you know, it's, it's it's another thing that, you know, that we all like Star Trek, you know, it's, and it's, it's right. fun, to, I think, to find good things in episodes that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's actually true. And sometimes it's a challenge, but I got to say, it's not a huge challenge, depending on what you talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be curious. So I'll ask a question at the end about that. Yeah, I just thought, especially for me, because so much of the um, the Abrams first movies, I don't really like them on principle. And then sometimes I find myself saying, 
I dislike some of the new track because I feel that influence. And so I do, like you guys said, and I will say doing this podcast um, with y'all, I knew a couple of times, remember we were all like, uh, we got to find something to be a little bit more positive about next week because (laughs) it was something we just didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. thought it'd be fun to try that. That happened a couple of times, both times three quarters of the way through a new season of Discovery. (laughs) Yes. It always hits that turning point and it's like, Mm -hmm. Well, it yeah. can be tough when you're watching a show that you, you I mean, you like the show, but you don't mm-hmm. like what they're doing week to week. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. like, I can't stop watching, but, you know, <laughs> I, I have opinions. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Okay. So, so who wants to go? Have one that you wanted to jump out with? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do, mm, gosh, I got to even think about that one. Um, <laughs> too late now. <laughs> yeah, I got to find. Uh, it's go time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> This this one is actually a stretch, but it's the one um, from the next generation that everybody talks about. And the best way to bring this up is this is literally about the only Star Trek episode bar, maybe one in its 50 year history that features a planet that's primarily black, which I find very interesting. Yeah, um, very interesting that there's not any black people. Well, I mean, there's black people all over the universe, but there don't seem to be planets that we dominated. So I wish, well, I wish Richard Pryor were still around to say something about that. But the episode I'm talking about is the one everybody remembers called Code of Honor. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Code of Honor is the one, long story short, that looks like somebody was doing um, Arabian Nights and Roots and <laughs> all kinds of stuff crammed together. <laughs> and the Enterprise has to, they need a vaccine to cure a disease that they're unable to create. And they go to this planet dominated by Black people and get involved in a power structure because one of the guys who is the leader. It's a matriarchal society, so women control the land and the money and the and the wealth, and the men have to basically jockey to become number one for a woman. And long story short, Tashiar gets involved in a power struggle between the two guys, between the guy who is married to the lady who rules the planet. The episode is roundly criticized. I mean, Jonathan Frakes literally said, I hate that piece of SHIT that we did. And well, you've already said that word one time on the show. Why not say it again? <laughs> that true. was a quote. <laughs> yeah. Fine. This was too. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, but yeah, but, but it's, it's basically considered a horrible episode because it's it feels stereotyped. And it feels like somebody looked at black people and grabbed some African culture and Middle yeah. Eastern culture and all kinds of stuff. The one thing I can say about it that is positive, and it's not a lot because it's just not a good show, whether you consider it racist or not. Is I do like the fact that they sometimes show that the Federation for all this technology and stuff still can't do everything because you would think in the time of replicators and all this that they can do whatever they want and produce whatever they want. And I love it sometimes when you show that cultures develop differently because the people of this planet, yes, they have their own transporters, but in some ways, technologically, they're not as advanced as the Federation. For example, they don't have holodecks or at least sophisticated holodecks. But they are advanced beyond the Federation in medical technology. And I think that's really cool um, where you because so many times in Star Trek, it's kind of a thing where once people hit space and they have warp technology, all the races kind of sort of see to me on the same technological level. And I like the concept where some planets, maybe even philosophically and culturally, may put their focus elsewhere. So maybe they're not as focused on space travel and mechanical weapons, but they're much more focused on things like uh, genetic engineering or or working with nature. So that's one good thing I like about that, that the people have a different focus. And I think that's a, that's a germ of an idea that can be done more in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I 
couldn't think of any Star Trek episodes that I don't like. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, not. Um, I'm sure there are ones, and I had a vague recollection of strongly disliking the the Discovery episode with the Klingon SEX. Um, <laughs> not, not the DS9 one because that is one of the greatest episodes ever. Right, but. The Discovery one. Yeah. But I don't remember the episode at all. I just okay. remember that was a part of it. And I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm not interested in this episode okay. at all. So what's a good thing about but it? But I don't remember. I don't <laughs> remember the episode. Okay. So, I mean, I, I black out all the bad. <laughs> but okay. I remember all of the ones that I enjoy that everyone else hates. Like okay. Like and um, the, the one where on Strange New Worlds where they turn into renaissance characters and uh when when they turn into um uh salamanders yeah well what's something good about one of those then yes threshold yeah good about what what's what's something good about one of those episodes then okay so um the veronica before you say i'm sorry to cut you off real quick you even like the one where q shows up on d space nine yes jason vachero yes um how about the one where shows up i love it how about the one where where uh, Doctor Bashir gets taken over by that alien who can transfer bodies and does like the worst acting in Trek history? <laughs> the Passenger. Yeah, um, I remember having watched it, uh, and I remember yeah. like the scene where he's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes. But but um, I don't remember the episode. Okay. So uh, yeah, but uh, something that I like in. Alabarang is I actually like when they have to sing the song and hop hop through. Not because it's any <laughs> plot building or team building or help develops the characters, just because it's fun. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alan? Well, I was gonna go with Move Along Home. Okay. Because Sorry. that no, is right. one that is one that is generally no one likes it. Right. Like no one, you never hear anyone defend it. So I rewatched it last night because I literally hadn't seen it since broadcast. <laughs> and so, and I, and I wanted to give it a, another shot. You know, I wanted, mm -hmm. I've been wanting to watch it again anyway, because that whole concept of, um, a player being put in a game and the mm -hmm. game being sort of like, you know, malicious and dangerous and you have to like pit your wits against it in order to survive. I, I love that whole concept. So I wanted to watch this one again because I hadn't seen it in a million years and I actually did not hate it. Um, I, for the most part, enjoyed it. Um, so I'm going to say, first of all, the most important thing to come from that is Alamoraine, count to four. Alamoraine, then three more. Alamoraine, if you can see Alamoraine, you'll come with me. <laughs> and yes, it's a little silly watching them have to do the hopscotch thing and the, you know, all that nonsense. But it makes sense within the context of the episode. There is the only thing really that I didn't like about it is some of the acting is awful. And, you know, I actually had been thinking that this was later in season one that it, it was it was the 10th episode. Mm 
Right. So it's still kind of early on. And so there's still a little bit of exaggeration of character, you know, because you're playing up to the way that the character is conceived by the uh, creator, you know, rather than the, you finding your own, you know, sort of personality in it. So Kira overreacts when it's like, this is not what I signed up for. And when Julian is like, I must be in a nightmare and I'm trying to wake myself up. And he's like screaming. It was the, the worst. And then, okay, Alan, and then you're making me not want to watch it again for sure. Cause you're reminding me of those things. Yeah. And then <laughs> Quark who's begging for oh, the lives of the, of the four players from the Wadi is so bad. It's just really terrible. Is. But other than those like little moments, I think the concept is really, really interesting. What I should have gone back and watched, and I think if we do this topic again, I'm going to go back and watch The Thaw, because that's not one that I've seen since broadcast either, and I remember not really liking it at the time. Um, now I really want to go watch that one again and see if I find new <laughs> appreciation for it. So um, I thought the whole concept of the game was interesting. I thought using Quark because he is that natural game player, that natural gambler, that natural risk taker, um, getting involved in that game and wanting to go farther. I, I wish they had played up a little bit more on that because once he found Agreed. out, once he found out that it was four officers who were the actual players and not just tokens on a board, I wish that they, he, he just, this is so early in DS9 that I feel like he doesn't have the relationship yet yeah. with those four characters that he would, I don't know, acquiesce the way that he did. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. wish they had played up on his natural instincts to take risks more. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. But other and, than that, I really enjoyed it. I, 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 I thought it was a, a really neat episode. And everyone here knows, but for some of those listening who might not know, uh, we've all discussed that a few years ago at DragonCon here in Atlanta, um, I think more than one of us was on a Deep Space Nine panel where Avery Brooks was in attendance along with Nana Visitor. And somebody in the audience stood up and just literally said during the question session, are there any episodes of Deep Space Nine that you really dislike? And instantly Avery Brooks started singing, oh, Marine, da, da, da. He has a beautiful voice because he is a music professor. And the entire audience just went, just howled with laughter because it yep. was so funny. Was great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Good pick, Alan. And, and I love the fact, one thing you said I don't think it's great is that if the execution is still not good, the concept is great. And that's it, something that redeems Star Trek. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah. I, I totally yeah. agree. And I thought this concept was really strong. It may have been, you know, executed a little better. Like maybe mm -hmm. the writing could have been a little tighter. Maybe they could have, I don't know, but I still really enjoyed it. Right. Yeah. yeah, my mind, when you brought this up, immediately went to my two least favorite Star Trek episodes, which of are of all time, and not necessarily the worst ones. I think there's mm -hmm. probably worse ones to mm -hmm. count on, but I think I'm like the ones you guys picked are both pretty early on in yeah. the series runs. Right. Which right. I think I'm more forgiving of. You know what right. I mean? But mm -hmm. when you get to a point where you've demonstrated you know how to make good Star Trek, you're making good Star Trek on a weekly basis, I guess I, you know, I'm, I'm a little more critical. That you know, when an episode mm -hmm. like, and the children shall lead, which came yes. out in the third season. Like, you've already <laughs> yes. made Be on the Edge of Forever. You've yes. already made Balance of Terror. Why are you making And the Children Shall Lead now? You know, I mean, there's, there's no excuse. <laughs> right. Point, right. Right. And it's just uh, not a good episode. And mm -hmm. so I was, I was thinking about the, the things that I do like about that episode. I think the kids are good. 
You know, I think the the the, the kids do a good job. Um, several mm-hmm. of them were also on Space Academy, which I enjoyed. I still follow Pamela Ferdin on Facebook. Um, she's always posting pictures of her acting career. She was a little girl in that episode. Um, and I like uh, a little bit of and the children Shelley that I like is at the beginning when you get a little glimpse of of a civilian Federation colony, which you don't mm-hmm. see a whole lot of. I mean, you mm. see you see it occasionally on, on the original series when they're in jumpsuits or when they're farmers or that sort of thing. But, th- right. but these folks, um, you know, they have a little Federation flag and the little metal buildings. And I think that's I think that's cool mm-hmm. to, to get a little glimpse of that. And then and the uh, particularly when they're showing the kids clips of their parents and their families, and you get just that little that little bitty glimpses of sort of the the life. You know what I mean? And not, not to the extent that you would now if they were doing that, but mm. you know, you get a little bit of the families. You know, and it's fun to imagine these families on this weird planet and living in little metal buildings, you know, and um, just, I think that's a cool little look into another side of the Federation that you don't see a whole lot of. Um, mm. I don't have a lot to say about the Gorgon. I don't think he's very good. <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm going to go ahead and talk about my other pick as well, um, since I'm already talking, and that, which also is not early on in the season run. And it is um, Let He Who's Without Sin. Ooh, yes. I believe it's the fourth season of DS9. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're at a point in DS9 where you're already, DS9 is already firing. You know what I mean? This it, isn't episode 11. This is. Sorry <laughs> to cut you off, Charles, but even worse, yeah. it was the fifth season. See, is it, is, and I think it's after. Um, trials and tribulations which you know what i mean so it's Mm -hmm. like you know how to make good star trek by now right (laughs) Right. that's not it having Worf join in with the conservative terrorists is not good you know what i mean having Worf be mr grumpy pants on risa is not i mean it's it's and it's not played for to be funny it's it's you know like it's one thing if Worf gets drugged along and he's uncomfortable and he doesn't like it and he's Mm -hmm. sort of sour on the sure but come on you know, right. um, I just right. I couldn't stand that episode when it first aired, and I still can't. I I, yeah. I have a hard time rewatching that. I'll skip it if it comes. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, and then even and then even his excuse, which made no sense, is they grafted that weird crap along about how he he headbutted a kid when he was a kid, when he was a child. Yeah. And what the heck did that have to do with him siding with terrorists? I, I literally I don't, don't get know. that. It's like you, <laughs> like if if you're going to Risa with Jadia Dax, you have to work to be miserable. Thank you. Know you. I mean, like you're going out of your way to have <laughs> exactly. Come on, exactly. Um, but I mean, I, 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 but something redeeming about that episode, I think, is that you get a little bit of a different look at Risa, um, in a way mm. that you hadn't yeah. otherwise. You know, you, mm-hmm. we we knew of Risa as the sort of the sex planet, you know, as a pleasure right. planet, but <laughs> the um, S E X planet. <laughs> right. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> notice on the cover your children's ears the, the <laughs> <laughs> oh, i love it um but i, I liked that y- you saw a little bit more of how risa operates you saw that there are people in the federation who don't care for there being uh, a planet of debauchery which is unfortunate to think about um but it's the sort of thing that we would see today if there was a place mm-hmm. uh wonderful like risa here uh you know there'd be people clutching their pearls and mm-hmm. trying to get it shut right. out, you know yep um, so, I mean, I think human beings and humanoid beings are going to be the same in the 24th century. So I think that's probably realistic. Um, and, you know, I, I like uh, that Risa has like a government and problems and, you know, it felt like a little bit more of a place. Yeah. So those yeah. are my two picks. You, also- know, you know, you're talking about after you've made good Star Trek, 
you know, how can you make that? Right. And that reminds me of um, the end of season three of Lost in Space, the Great Vegetable Rebellion. Oh my gosh! It was it was written by a, <laughs> written by a guy named Peter Packer who had written quite a few really good Lost in Space episodes, and then you come up with that. And I remember a story of of him saying, like on set, to Jonathan Harris, "I am so sorry. This is all I could come up with. <laughs> this, is, this is all I had left in me. Seriously, <laughs> wow, wow." So maybe that's what happened with <laughs> Risa. Yeah. Th well, thankfully they weren't out of gas because no, the, the no. show went on for a few years. But I mean, the season five is the same season where Worf was in that Dominion prison camp. Like, yes. you know how to write a good Worf story. Exactly. Yeah. This is not it. <laughs> exactly. But I'm, I'm yeah. sure that I'm sure that the way that they had to make the the whole that whole angle interesting was to involve one of the main characters in that, you know, opposing right. viewpoint. And who else are you going to do besides Worf? I didn't make it good. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. well, and to, to, to piggyback on what you guys are saying, it reminds me of another well movie that's not really liked, which is Star Trek Into Darkness. And I, there's a connection I can draw between that and what you were just saying, Charles, because I do think in the future there are still going to be some concerns about have we gotten too fat and gotten too lazy. That's what the um, that was the admiral and his coterie were saying in Into Darkness, which is we're getting complacent. And yeah. we've got to, you know, we've got to have a militarized stance. And the actor who also, by the way, for those old enough to know, Monty Markham, I grew up with him. He was a $7 million man. He can act. And <laughs> they made him look bad. So like you said, there's a germ of an idea there because there's got to be people who are always concerned that we can't become too complacent. But it just doesn't make sense. And I am. Um, I've been listening to different podcasts over the years. And there's a lot of people who are reevaluating War from Deep Space Nine, not as an overall character, but specifically his relationship with Jadzia, because there are a lot of people who don't like how he mostly acted in her relation in the relationship with Jadzia, and how he acted on Risa is one of the things that make people think that he was kind of a jerk to her uh, throughout that relationship. So I, I find that kind of interesting. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Problems. So Keith, did you have another pick for an episode that you uh yeah, yeah I got I've got um I've won, I guess I need to do it because I kept yelling kill, kill, kill. And that is the alternative factor from the original series. Um it's a famously bad episode, and for those who may not remember, it's basically the one where you, you find out that there's two versions of a dude named Lazarus. Mm -hmm. One of them is from our universe, and one of them is from an, a universe that they literally say is antimatter. Um, the show starts, and the, the, the good things in the, in the show, basically what's going on is when the show starts off, there are literally shock waves across the entire known part of the galaxy. Weird things are happening. They're saying stuff like reality itself blinked in and out. Gravity blinked in and out. And it's so bad that the entire Federation Starfleet go on alert, like an invasion alert. What they find out, long story short, is that one guy had emerged from another universe, a parallel universe. And that emergence, the energy that emerges was causing some problems. And through the course of the show, it's a very confusing show, they find out that there's one guy from our universe and there's another guy from an antimatter universe. And... They keep switching places, which makes no sense because 
if the guy from the antimatter universe, literally what happens is the guy from our universe gets put into this corridor between the matter and antimatter universes, and they keep switching places. And then the guy from the antimatter universe is walking around the Enterprise. But then they quit switching places. And the problem is one guy is sane and one guy is insane. And because of how the show is shot, because of some issues they had with the original actor backing out, you literally can't tell who's who at all during this show. <laughs> you just can't tell. And it's so it's a very confusing show. And it's a very silly show because the guy who plays Lazarus, who was hired like a day before they started shooting, he's overacting. And he falls off a cliff like three times because they seem like they didn't have anything else to do. And he, he's really overacting. <laughs> it's, a, it's a famously bad episode. But the one, but the things I can say that's good about it, for as confusing as the episode was, is like we were just saying, concepts in Star Trek are really cool. Because this may not make sound like much now, but in the 1960s to say that the guy from the antimatter universe was the same guy. Now, back in the day, antimatter universe makes no sense why it would have to be. But back in the day, people would have a knee-jerk reaction and think antimatter universe, he must be evil or something like that. But it turns out it's the antimatter guy and his people who found a way to enter our universe. It was their technology. And somehow he contacted his matter component counterpart who instantly went insane because he couldn't stand the thought that somebody else existed in the universe like in reality like him. So he wants to kill him. And the concept of someone coming from an alternate universe, which is also wild because if you think about the episode Mirror, Mirror, we're talking about another type of um, alternate universe, uh, this one. So there, I, I've often said that as jokingly, when we talk about the Mirror Universe, we really should say a Mirror Universe because there's sure, an infinite yeah. number of them. And this show mm -hmm. brings another alternate universe. When the actor, whose name I didn't write down, I apologize, when he is allowed to play himself from the Antimatter Universe, he does a really good job. That's the actor I wish we would have seen that. But when they make him kind of like, yo, kill, 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 and then he's falling off cliffs and stuff, it's just really bad. But I like <laughs> the concept of an alternate universe. I like the concept of a universe with antimatter. I like the concept of someone from a quote-unquote opposite universe actually being the sane person and the intelligent person. And I like the concept that where they were saying, even though the science makes no sense, I like the concept that they were saying where if they met each other, that they would destroy both universes. And in the end, although nowadays there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of other ways they could have solved this. I hate to say this, they could kill the guy, they could have they could have thrown him in prison. But it, it is kind of cool at the end that the antimatter Lazarus works with Kirk to trap him and his counterpart in the corridor between the universes. They shut the door. And so for all eternity, they're going to be fighting. And that's kind of noble and sad. So that's a pretty cool thing about yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. Until they escape on Lower Deck someday. <laughs> oh, yes! Awesome. You never know. Right. You never know. Yes. That's yes. right. Uh, one thing <laughs> that I thought was kind of cool about that episode, um, just from a production standpoint, was that in one universe, the planet was a location. In the other universe, the planet was a set. I always thought that was yeah. a, a cool little touch. You're right. Yeah. 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 You're right. I That's haven't seen that in so long that I would never have remembered that detail. But that is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a famously it's a famously troubled episode. The script was changed. The actor who was supposed to be, um, gosh, was it? I forget his name. I wonder, it was Drew Barrymore's dad. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. He backed out at the last minute, and it became a famous case because they took him to whatever the court is that um, yeah. that you can take actors to, and they won. So it was actually a really well known case that um, that was very famous yeah. in Hollywood. Is there, uh, they're set up to shoot, and he just didn't show up. 
(laughs) (laughs) which is i mean it costs a lot of money yes from a business perspective like we're ready to roll we've got we're paying people to be here yeah exactly yeah right okay you got another alan or we have time we we need to wrap up um well let's do do we all have another one we want to put in veronica do you have another one we could, right. or we could just pick one that's universally disliked and everyone say something nice about it. Okay, go ahead and pick one. Oh, <laughs> Keith, you have the list. Be- well, Throw I was going to, I was okay, actually, I hate to bring up one that we've talked about in a previous show, but uh-huh. I want to go to bat for one that I, the first time I saw it, I loved it. And, and it, it was quite a surprise to me later on, many years later, to find out how disliked it is. And that's the, that's the ghost candle. <laughs> I, oh, I, I love that episode i always have i think it's so neat i think it's atmospheric i i love the ghost angle because it's so non-scientific it's not something that you would normally get in a star trek episode and i thought gates was fantastic in it yeah. so there you go it's like a romance novel star trek episode it is which yeah. depends i guess on how how that strikes you. That may be an appeal to some people and not an appeal to other people. I didn't right. care for it when I first saw it. I didn't, I don't think I watched it again after the first airing until we were doing our Halloween episode that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And did your opinion change? Uh, no. Yeah. You know what? I liked the Scottish planet more than I didn't yeah. remember that part. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, right. I just remember when I was like 12 and I was like, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> but as, not, not good Star Trek weird, but just weird, weird, you know? <laughs> but as far as like romance novel Trek, I think it's far better than that short Trek um, with the ship AI and the dude. Oh, the you first... think so? Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't okay. care for that at all. It was oh, so schmaltzy. Dude. I liked Clip, so I thought. Yeah. I know everyone did. I, I, know I know that I'm the one that's in the wrong on that one. God. So, uh, a, a, a final comment and then a question. I think, Alan, what you're saying, one thing about Sub Rosa is it's so bad, it's funny. And there's a difference between a show that's, uh, at least for me, there's a difference between a show that's so awful you never want to watch it again, and even a show where you can kind of laugh at it. And the idea, because like Charles, you're saying about the Scottish planet, um, her groundskeeper was like out of a really bad movie. He kept saying, there's a ghost in that. And he was doing this really bad accent. He was completely overacting, but he made me laugh. And so it's camp enough where I have fun with it. And there's things I could watch it and not, you know, not have a problem with, but there's other episodes I don't ever want to watch again. Yeah. So that leads to my final question for you guys. Do you, and you don't have to talk about it, name it. Is there, has there ever been a Star Trek episode or movie? That is so incredibly bad that you literally could never sit through it ever again. Because no. we always talk about we can find things, but there one and you're like, I will, I will never watch that again. I hate to say it, that Strange New World's Renfair one. I don't ever want to see that thing again. Oh, no, what a surprise! Yeah, I didn't have that reaction. To no, that. I, I actually did. Like the, yeah, I didn't like that he fed his daughter to that space brain, but I, I didn't <laughs> hate the episode like that. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if I could think of one that that I, I just wouldn't watch again. You know, because mm-hmm. I've watched Code of Honor more than one time. Yeah, you know yeah I mean? same here. Same here. And that's yeah. very little redeemable about that episode to me. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Um, so, so I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of one offhand that I just wouldn't watch again. No, yeah. there's, there's one that the, the actually is so funny. It's a new one. That strange new world Ren Fair one. I don't ever want to see that thing again ever. Yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and the other one that I remember, it just, it, I just didn't like it. And I can't remember the episode. It's the one where Joe Piscopo was on the Next Generation. Uh, yeah, that was not great. 
Yeah, I don't even remember the, the main theme of it, but I, I don't ever, I remember at the time watching go, I don't ever want to see this thing again. Yes, that one I watched again just recently because we were going to go see, just, we were not going to go see, but he was going to be on the cruise we were on. <laughs> and so I figured while I was there, I was going to see him. So I rewatched that scene oh, um, cool. or that episode before <laughs> we went. But uh, okay, well, that's been fun. We want to go ahead and uh, transition over into the latest sure. episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Sure. Do you want to give out a spoiler warning, Veronica? Spoiler, spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler. They're spoilers. Okay, good job. Good job. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> and that's spoilers for the Star Trek Prodigy episode, All the World's a Stage. Yes. Which I thought was delightful. I mm -hmm. loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh -oh, I did Keith. too. It was okay. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh, no. I'm curmudgeon tonight. I, I, know. I thought it was okay. It was just okay. I didn't love it. Uh, okay. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. The, the the Kirk accent, the Kirk thing got on my nerves. <laughs> I, really? I, was like, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I kept saying, stop, please stop with the Kirk thing. Yeah. But well, I, I took the Kirk thing for one, it's a joke. Um yeah. a chance to do a bad Shatner impression. Like a deliberately bad one. Right. But all, all, but also it sort of goes with the theme of these people on this planet who it's like they're several generations removed from the information that they're repeating. So everything's mm -hmm. wrong. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So their their version of Kirk is heightened, which I think a lot of I think that is that reflects what a lot of people who think that William Shatner speaks that way, yeah, is the same way because they exactly know the right. Like yeah. if you watch Balance of Terror, you would never have that impression, right? Exactly yeah. right. They 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 know the people doing impressions of Kirk more than they know Kirk, and so you get that second and yes. third fourth generation of information. You know, mm -hmm. that's a good so I thought point. It was, it's kind of meta in that way. Yes, that's a good point, because it has been said and it's true. What you're saying is unless you're a fan, William Shatner did not overact like that as much as people think. He also didn't have SEX with as many different women as people always seem to think. <laughs> and well, so right. I think that's funny. Yeah, totally. Uh, OK, question I do have is what? Ensign Garavik as an Ensign Garavik yeah. obsession, yeah. one of my favorite. What the heck? What happened? Well, he crashed on a planet. Yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah what's, what's the backstory? I've got to know. And now yeah. that you think, now that I think about it, in the original series episode, we, at the end, we, you know, he was, he was spending time with Kirk because Kirk, as we all know, honored his father. And at the end, mm -hmm. Kirk said, I'm going to tell you several tall tales about your father. So maybe Garabic was doing impressions of the Kirk to the people. But yeah, I'm trying to figure out. I haven't done any research. What's up with Garavik? Why was he chosen for this? A uh, why was that name pulled? I don't know why the reason was mm -hmm. pulled, but I think it mm -hmm. works out very well thematically for the episode because Garavik's whole storyline was that he was second guessing himself. You yeah. know, he and just like Kirk had when he was that age, he blamed mm -hmm. himself, and yeah. he mm -hmm. sort of in the episode had to like rise to the occasion, you know, and yeah. realize that mm. it was like the the problems weren't his fault. Um, and he was a, a young officer, so I think it's kind of fitting with the prodigy characters in their storyline uh, that it was involved Garabic specifically. I totally agree with that. That's exactly mm -hmm. what I took from it as well. And I, also thought it was, I also thought it was cool that it was the Galileo, and not the Galileo yes. too. Right. But the the I don't know if it's the original Galileo. It's a little bit weird because in in the, the Galileo Seven, you led yeah. to believe the Galileo was destroyed. But then they have a Galileo for like season two. Yeah. <laughs> it still says Galileo. And then season three, suddenly they have one that says Galileo two on it. Yeah. Um, so there's whether there was one or two or three Galileos over the course of the original series is a little bit up for debate. Mm -hmm. But one of them wound up on this planet. Yes, it did. 
Never yeah, go for I, a ride in the Galileo if you get the chance. I gotta, I, yeah, I really want to know that backstory. I thought it was rather clever the, the way they twisted the name. Like you said, Gallows, Galileo. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The way the uh, the engines look like eyes in the dark. Yes. Yeah. I, I thought it was really clever. I, I really enjoyed it. The whole thing, it reminded me of, um, you remember back when um, Trials and Tribulations was made? And mm-hmm. they've always said that what like the other big contender for what the episode was going to be was going back to Sigma Iosha. That's right. Yeah. And now they're impersonating Starfleet officers. And it's almost like a like a homage to the fandom. Yes. The, the Sigma Oceans are like cosplaying Star Trek characters now. Right. And I, they, mm-hmm. they sort of revisiting that idea, either deliberately or not, that um, this planet is basically that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the whole play angle. I loved yes, the fact that, I you know, we've that. we've had those things where you know, you've had Nazis and, you know, the Constitution and whatever else. And now we have Starfleet officers as oral tradition. And I thought it was really, really fun. And now we have our prodigy characters who have been worked into that story that's going to be passed down farther. I thought it was really cool. I I loved it. So let me... It reminded me of that Voyager episode where Bolana's trapped on that planet and she's like telling some of the, oh, yeah. people, to the one like guy. The people, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one where the guy keeps her prisoner for a while so she can give him stories so he can go back and please the I just watched that a few months. That's actually not a bad episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. And so, I, I go ahead, Charles. No, I was just gonna say and I liked that um you know, these these people are basically they're, they're dressing up like Star Trek characters, right? They're dressing yes. up like Starfleet or Starflight in their case. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the Prodigy characters are doing the same thing, and they sort of tied that in. Yeah, I that, thought that was clever. Although they're just dressed up and although they're only emulating Starfleet officers, they're still living up to those ideals. Yes. And I thought that that was a, a cool way to sort of illustrate what's going on with the, the Prodigy characters because they're not Starfleet officers. They have yeah. a starship and they have right. little uniforms and they're pretending to be. Yes. So, from what we saw, are we to assume that the entire planet is like that, or was this just like a local village that was like that? I couldn't because there weren't a whole bunch of people in the in the theater. I mean, there was there was a lot of yeah. people, but um, I would. I mean, Star Trek planets are usually about fifteen people, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I would guess everybody, <laughs> right. Yeah, and so it was. It was. Was are we saying that their culture is all day long? They literally dress like that. That's their normal life, and they also maintain the oral tradition of the history. Is that the thing? They don't just dress up for playtime, right? Well, and they, and they and they practice Kirk Fu. Okay, <laughs> so they're so in their regular lives, they really dress like that and act like that, and then they also do these plays to keep the tradition going. They don't just that's, dress up for plays, right? That's what yeah, that's what it sounds yeah. like. So far as I can tell, uh, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. They're I all mean, in, they, man. It's just like it's just like if you're in Starfleet, that's what you do. You wear yeah. the uniform all day, you do your <laughs> duties, you you know, participate in whatever the thing is that's going on, and that's what these guys are doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was it's interesting. Uniform, yeah. Even if it is just sewn together from other Yeah. Material. I thought it was interesting at the end of we talk again about these being basically teenagers and kids. Um they started they were handing out stuff like they were handing out equipment and tricorders and well, whatever it looked like at the end. And, you know, like in the real federation, they wouldn't have done that. But their thing was here, have some props, have some things to go along with it and then build your future from there. I thought that was that was kind of interesting, you know, because, you know, a real starship wouldn't be allowed to do something like that. But I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I liked that 
I mean, it was very fan servicey, obviously, but it yeah. wasn't just fan servicey for fan servicey's sake. It really does yeah. tie in very well with the the story of these characters, and yes, I, I thought that that was great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because one thing you can take away from here is, even though there can't be a real starship crew right now because of the problem with that uh, that virus, you're right. They're still trying to undertake the mission of of Starfleet because they mm-hmm. want to help people, and their hearts are in the right place. And so I think that that's pretty cool. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, jump into another thing I thought was very interesting that they answered a question we had last week as a real quick line where he said, um, Dahl said that Jake kind of had determined that even trying to communicate with another starship would send the virus. Because we were kind of like, can't they just like say, hey, we, we yeah. can't come in and help? They can't yeah. even do that. I thought that was a quick, interesting little line to throw in there. But they've got to be able to find some way to do that. You know, like, yes. and I'm not saying that they will take this method, but it's like when on um, Strange New Worlds, they discovered that the Gorn flashy lights were communique. You know, they they will yeah. have to find some way that they can communicate that doesn't involve a, a signal being transmitted from one ship to another. Right. Even if they paint something on the outside of the hull. You know, I mean, it, it seems like nothing happened when they docked. It wasn't until they like connected the computers mm. that something happened. So it seems like they could dock and talk to someone. Mm. They just couldn't, yeah, link up the computers. But I guess then also if that the makes other, sense. if the other ships scanned them, I'm assuming there's also something that would like trigger something. Sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have to do something like find somebody and leave a message and help Janeway finds them or leave one of the crew behind so that they can talk to Janeway. Because if they can't get close to the ship, yeah, there's no real way around it. And of course, we don't know what's going to happen with the diviner um, in the meantime, because because of what happened, he's already got Janeway going up, which makes sense. Now, this is a manhunt. So this that is was a good ship. Janeway scene. Yeah. <laughs> now it's a manhunt. Yes. You know? Yeah. And oh, I yeah. do I, I do really enjoy Kate playing both sides of this. Yeah. You know, where she's the, the nice hologram who is helping the kids, and then the the no nonsense business Jane Way who's got to get a task done. Right. And she based on the evidence that she has available mm-hmm. to her, she's basically seeing these this thing as the bad guy and she's going after him i love that yeah yeah especially colored by the fact that every single moment she's like where's chakotay where's chakotay yeah. of course she's fearful that he's dead that they yeah. killed him because like the other the, her her uh, uh, attache or agent said oh they were saying this is not something that chakotay would do this is not something mm-hmm. that captain chakotay would do so yeah that really got her stirred up right and then of course the diviner is able to convincingly seem like a victim. Of course, they don't know this because he's all babbling and screaming about the future of his planet and blah, blah, blah. They took my daughter. And so that did work out very well. Right. Yeah. So do we think that um, this is just genuinely how he is after having seen a Medusa? Or do you think that he's playing Janeway? It's got to be a little of both. I really do think that there is some brain scramble going on. But at the same time, what he does have, I think he's I think the more he comes into possession of his memories and stuff, the more he's going to be manipulative of her. I mean, clearly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm. my guess as well. And yeah. I noticed today that Jimmy Simpson is still in the credits. Who played Dreadnought? 
Just as a note, I don't Dreadnought may still be lurking about somewhere. Or he's doing more than one voice. That could be too. Yeah. Did you notice who was also doing voices this week, though? No. Fred Tadishior, who plays oh, Shax. Yeah. He oh, was no. Garavik, and I think I think he was James oh. T. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? I saw well, I the didn't. name, but I didn't connect it. I didn't get yeah. that. I didn't get to look at the credits really this week. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I, I think it's fun when different Star Trek characters from different different shows. You know, you know when they cross pollinate. I love that. Yeah, I love it too. Yeah. That's awesome. Now it, it seemed this week like the Protostar's consoles on the bridge are reconfigurable holograms. Right. That was a which, surprise. Yeah. Which on one hand is pretty cool. Yes. On the other hand, seems dangerous. Yes. <laughs> If the right. holograms go out, <laughs> you know exactly. Oh no, I don't have a helm anymore. <laughs> uh oh. Right. Yeah, well, that I, was that, that was an interesting flip. I think what it was was I think they're physical, and I think what she did is she had the computer project the hologram above the physical so that they were still. I think that's what she said because she said something about something something. I think it was a hologram overlaying it. The, that the, might the, be. It didn't look that yeah. way, but you might. Be uh-uh. Yeah, because because it because it because it, it because the thing was I noticed that it I noticed that the uh, Constitution class consoles um, only overlaid part of the ship like directly above them, but the rest of it looked the same. So I think it was more like a in our days like when you put a you know a plastic overlay over something. I think it was more like that. It might be. It looked to me like yeah. everything disappeared and something else reappeared. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't yeah. know that they're going to dive that deep into the technology anyway. So it's just right. like, it's probably speculative. But right. I, I, I was more, like the TOS mm-hmm. bit. I like the yeah. I was, I was too. I did too. Yeah, and I, I found it amazing that whatever Garavik conveyed to them all that long time ago was enough where they could literally still run the ship because there was no yes. learning curve. I thought that was interesting. Let's say yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's he's lucky he didn't get picked up because he'd be in some trouble. right he told us about the prime directive and also how to fly starships (laughs) right right oh that's funny so what do we we finally got into the point now where murph is going into its metamorphosis it's Mm -hmm. cocoon we'll say so where do you think that's going do you think it's going to be something completely different than the murph we've seen before I think like so. maybe humanoid from this point on or totally different insectoid or something. Yeah. I, 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 I was, I wonder from the start why they got an actor as talented as Z Bradley Baker to play the, the thing that makes just wrong, 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 noises. You know what right. I mean? So, um, yeah, but I mean, I could just be because they knew that Murph would be talking, you know what I mean? And we don't know right. yet that he is, but I suspect that he will be. Yeah. Right. I suspect that, I, I suspect that Murph's going to come out as some kind of different looking life form. Yeah, and probably relate to everybody in a different way. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I I really enjoyed this episode. I, it, yeah, it won't go down as one of my favorites, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like it was a wasted week either. I feel like we got a lot of insight into the main characters and specifically Dal, and yeah, yeah. It, it built on what we know of as Trek history and gave us a sort of a new chapter of of some of the back history, and so I really enjoyed it. Plus, it, yeah. it moved us a little bit forward on the Diviner storyline, too. Yeah. So I thought it was good. Yeah. And I, I like the way good. that, yeah. yeah, and I like the way, despite the fact that they're teenagers and how they came to this place, you do see them slowly gelling as a crew, as a, tr- mm-hmm. as some kind of crew. They, they've accepted Dallas, the captain, 
And uh, Jankum, for all of his, you know, whining and jokes and stuff like that, he's the engineer. And he's pretty much like, if I can't fix it, you mm-hmm. know, I, I'm going to get this done. So I kind of like that. And then, um, and um, Rock, Rock Tonkas. Uh, yeah, you know, That's she's... the new science officer. Exactly. So I, I, I yeah. like that. I, I, I like the way they're gelling and, and they're gelling with the Janeway. And I think, was it you, Alan, who said, I love, I just love, it's so funny. I love Kate Mulgrew in her role as Admiral Janeway. It's just... yes. It's so, it's the next best thing to having her do it in real life. So I'm loving that. Yeah, yep. totally. Yeah, and, and I think it's cool that it lets her. You play Janeway just five years after Voyager, and, but it, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It, it keeps open the opportunity for her to do it now if they wanted to do a live action series. Like she's oh, not yeah. doing this instead of you know. I mean, they very easily could do a live action Janeway series as well. Um, right. And I think she's great. I think she's doing a great job, and I, I've I've really enjoyed. I mean, I've said this plenty of times before, but I, as the show's gone on, I just like it more and more. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? and, it, and I mean, frankly, it feels more Star Trek-y as we go along, you know, yep. and yeah. like this week was very like a very uh, even uh, even without the references, just showing up at a planet that's been contaminated by a Federation culture and they're in trouble. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a Star trek adventure. Yes. Yeah. And showing how that adventure reflects on the, the main characters and how they respond to it and how they learn from it. Right. They learn about themselves from it. I think. it. Yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed it. So do we think Murph, Murph's going to hatch next week or is he going to be in the cocoon for a little bit? No, I think next week is it. I think next week it's okay. going to hatch. Yeah. I wonder he too. Was sick. He was starting to get sick last week and yeah. he was like sick this entire episode. And then in the cocoon, I feel like he's going to hatch next week. Yeah, okay. totally. I, I wonder if we're going to find out what happened to, was it Barnas Frax? Barnas Frax, uh, the little guy. Cause they said he got picked up by an unknown ship and now January yeah. is tracking that unknown ship. So I'm curious mm. to see who picked him up and what's up. Right. You know? And what he's going to say. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause yeah. he was assuming he assumed they did it on purpose. Yeah. So he'll mm-hmm. just, he'll just uh, reinforce the belief that there's some kind of, I don't know, pirate or something on the ship who may have killed Chakotay. <laughs> Do you think mm. Janeway will track him to this planet and then watch a play about how they saved him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be good. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, any any closing thoughts about that before we wrap up? I like when there's plays. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fun. If only they used puppets. I know. Oh, right. <laughs> All right. I'm now, very, good. That's, I'm, I'm very curious to see, as you guys were saying, I never thought about that, about is the diviner both uh, faking it and sincere. So I'm very curious because John Noble is another person voice whatever he's just a great actor Mm -hmm. i'm really i'm really interested to see how long they're going to tease out because can't kate mulgrew or captain janeway against the diviner is something i'd love to see when they're both at their top of their game so i'm very interested in what you guys saying how they're going to tease this out now when she realizes something's amiss yep yeah all right alan where can people find more of you all right. Well, people could, if they wanted to, go to cosmicpress.com, which is K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com, because I now have a list of all my podcasts right there on the front page. And that includes this show, Modern Musicology, my hour-long music show that I do with three co-hosts, Alan's Record Bin, which is a 10 to 15 minute show, picking a song from my collection and talking about it. And Doctor Who A to Z, which is about to start a big year-long series. And I will also pitch... Well, no, I won't. I'll wait until Veronica later. So, 
That's okay. it. What? And how about you, Keith? You can find me on all the standard social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And if and, you're in the... I was going to say... Oh, sorry. Uh, I another place you can find me this week is I was on the most recent episode of Monkeying Around, talking about everyone's favorite monkeys album, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. That's right. Yeah, you can go find that on the Monkeying Around feed right now. It was a lot of fun. We had a good discussion about. Yeah, that. Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And if you're in the Atlanta area, you can find Veronica and I. Uh, we have two adult-oriented performances coming up in December. One where We've been invited back to the Sinful Sundays Burlesque show. And cool. so we'll be doing a, a piece for that. Uh, we I don't know if we have a date for that yet, but uh, watch our page because we'll definitely announce it. And also the Puck and Puppet show this year, which this yes. year is going to be the, the our first performance together as Felt Nerdy was at the Puck and Puppet show holiday show in 2012. And so this holiday Puck and Puppet show will be our 10 year anniversary performing oh. together. Wow! So it's 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 going to be a big night for us, and so we're hoping that folks will come out and support us. It's uh the Puck and Puppet Show is a competitive puppet slam, so you there's prizes if you are if you win enough votes. So we're hoping some people will come and vote for us, and all right because it's our big night. So (laughs) that's awesome. Yep, that's really cool. And Veronica, do you have a closing for us this week? Yes, and I'm hoping I didn't I didn't I I couldn't write it down so I'm hoping that um I'm remembering this right. We meet we may not be Starflight, but that doesn't mean we can't live up to the ideals. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Sounds yep. sounds it was close to I was yep. like, hey. Yeah. That that sounds like what they were trying to say. <laughs> if it's not exactly what they said. Right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.